coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. As a best practice, we encourage people not to pick. I've invested in lots of things and things that I thought were going to go great didn't and things that I didn't think were going to go great did. When you look at the analysis of who wins in the venture business, there's a lot of data that says do a lot of diligence, look at a lot of deals, invest in a few and diversify, invest in 25 or more. It's not clear that when people pick that they they do better. Mm-hmm. And so as an investment strategy, when we approve things, we really, we sort of say, well, we want to be sure that somebody does well, whether they pick or not. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Carter Williams, who is the CEO from iSelect Fund. Carter has a unique perspective on the fundraising efforts today. According to their research, there is about $60 trillion of high net worth individuals available today. So so meaning there's $60 trillion that is sitting in people's bank accounts uh, right now, not producing anything. Uh, Carter wants to be able to help connect those high net worth individuals uh, in a unique way with people, with startups that are looking for the funding to be able to basically push humanity forward. So we have a, a good conversation about how they're looking to do that and the efforts that they are putting forth to, again, be able to connect those individuals together. So without further ado on today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. Friday and Saturday night, we always ate as, together as a family. Uh, I think this was the time period before everybody seemed to be out doing sports. So my father was a lawyer on Wall Street oh, wow. and, and often would sort of come home late, seven o'clock, but Friday and Saturday night, we always had dinner together, and he always, each night, gave us a problem one of his clients had, hmm. and our job was to figure out how to solve the problem the client had, and from probably age four on, I remember that, and wow. so uh, it was, it taught me a lot about I guess, negotiating and opinion and debate. I think sometimes maybe it frustrated some of my siblings, uh, but it was entertaining. And it, uh, when I went to my first job and I had some senior people say, you know, does anybody have an opinion? I would start offering my opinion. I realized at age 23 that they weren't trying to include me, but uh, my father taught me at age four he did. So it was a, it was interesting. 
that's awesome. Do, do you remember any uh, standout stories that you that you tried to solve back then? I remember in 1974, he, I'm an engineer, so in 1974 or so, he said he had a client, which was a French software company that had developed this new technology to do drafting online mm-hmm. on a computer screen, and that there was this thing called CAD. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the name of the company was Dassault, which uh, is a major aircraft company, but they developed a software called Katia. And uh, they were licensing it to IBM, and he was asking him how to license it and, and such. I guess I was probably about eight, eight or nine at the time. Later on, when I was at Boeing, I'm responsible for a lot of the R&D investment. Uh, Boeing was a big Katia user, and we invested. I was responsible for figuring out how we were going to invest about sixty or seventy million dollars a year wow. in in extending Katia. To so it was sort of interesting that it was a novel, novel concept in nineteen seventy four, and later on in life, it was it was one of my responsibilities. It was, yeah, so. That's really cool. That's very, very cool. So, so growing up, did you have any entrepreneurial tendencies at all? Were you the kid that was selling candy or anything, or did that the, the entrepreneurial bug not hit you till later? Yeah, I would say that I had a, a similar lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. I was also an engineer at the same time, as I say, and so I would uh, take things apart, put them back together again. I spent all my time at Radio Shack lots of science fair projects so on the entrepreneurial bent i was maybe the cto but i had a i sail a lot so i think at age 13 a friend chris generale and i created a, a boat cleaning business and we would clean boat bottoms and it gave us a reason to get certified to scuba dive okay. and i think i did a little bit of lawn care but i was, I was more boat bottoms and um yeah, i think it sounds, it sounds early Early got jobs, summer jobs, and and good summer jobs. So I think I've always leaned in that direction. Yeah, that's awesome. Were you doing that in in Lake Michigan as well, or uh, that was I grew up in uh, Rye, New York. So okay. that was on Long Island Sound, which is not the diving mecca of the world, but <laughs> Long Island Sound. That was also a little bit after Jaws. Okay. So <laughs> and and Jaws was in Edgartown, so that was north of where we were. So I. In murky waters, scuba diving at age 13, you sort of every now and then are afraid the jaws was going to get you, but uh, he never did. Uh, that's great. That's great. Very cool. So so talk a little bit about how you got involved in the, the funding space. Did you have, you, you mentioned before that you were uh, put in charge of uh, some big projects at Boeing. Was this something that you had always seen or how, how did you come across this, this need? Yeah. yeah. So my my career path was aerospace engineer, McDonnell Douglas, worked on fighter aircraft and sort of moved my way along. In 04, I left Boeing when the CTO and the CFO decided to retire and I decided to, I did a startup, bare bones startup for went from two and a half billion dollar annual budget investing mm-hmm. uh, even then in technology did a startup and bare bones startup in 08 that we grew five guys in a strip mall we sold successfully to johnson controls in the fall of 08 for what, cash what, when what did you what did you do what was that business a company named grid logics and 
at that time we said, you know, if we connect all this data together in building systems, we can reduce energy use and give better information about what's going on in the building. And, and then someone called that after we started it, someone decided to call it Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. So we were one of the first, I guess, one of the early Internet of Things companies before it was a thing. Mm -hmm. And that is now the cornerstone of Johnson Johnson Controls product called Panoptics. Uh, we sold that in 08, October of 08. So the stock market uh, was falling apart and we had a product that Johnson Controls wanted. We sold for cash with a good return. And one of the reasons we sold was that we couldn't raise money in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. We were going to have to move the company to Silicon Valley and Johnson Controls was giving us a nice premium, and so we sold, and I was frustrated. Over time, frustrated, I sort of played for a little bit, you know, having had a nice exit, played. But ultimately, got back to my roots of, you know, innovation matters. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to get funded outside Silicon Valley, and so uh, me and the other folks who helped start iSelect Saw that as an opportunity to figure out how to bring more capital to places other than Silicon Valley. And, and so from there, I've been investing in young companies. Mm -hmm. and, and what types of companies do you focus on? We tend to focus on agriculture and healthcare related companies, uh, deep tech, so PhDs, masters. So on the healthcare side, technology that helps personalize healthcare and understand your health in terms of diagnostics and also some therapeutics. And then on the ag side, genetics and inputs and a lot of the B2B aspects of agriculture. Uh, the macro theme that we're aimed at is food is health. And so there are a bunch of people running around talking about how to create better healthcare programs. And if you really get to people close to the healthcare issue, they, they say diabetes and cardiovascular disease is really driven by diet and diet is driven by food and and so we're we're focused in and around both on the healthcare side and the and the food side about how to reduce type 2 diabetes and reduce cardiovascular disease through therapeutics diagnostics and uh better food oh that's great that's great so what is the i guess what is the qualification process like what, what would someone do if they're in one of those industries and they, they listen to this how do they reach? Well, we'll get to how they reach out to you, but how do they, how do they best present themselves to you where it would be something that you would take a further look at? Yeah. Uh, so uh, in general, we reach out to them. Uh, we are very thesis driven. So we have areas that we focus in. For example, we're not good at direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. So I think the first, whether it's us or somebody else, is uh, a lot of venture capitalists say, look, we focus in particular areas, just really come to us if we're that area. And so I would say the first thing is don't go to a VC who says they don't invest in the area. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, just not productive. So we like, you know, one, they be in our thesis area, which is on our website. I think it, it helps a lot to reach out to us through somebody that we know. I'm very active on LinkedIn and it's very easy and it just helps because we, you know, you easily get 10 or 15 people a day trying to reach out to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think the way you get above the noise 
of that because we just can't process it. I mean, yeah. I just, I get emails all the time and I feel awful that I can't keep up with them. So we try. So I think the, the second sort of basic is, you know, if you look at LinkedIn and you're connected to somebody inside the fund, it's usually a good idea to reach out to that person and, and maybe that helps it along. Mm-hmm. And then I think we're really sensitive to, you know, is your product getting close to customers? Do customers care about it? So we like to hear both certainly about, Hey, we've got a strong team and this is the quality of the team. And Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy. And I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. Here's the technology, but you know, people who are insightful about the customer, uh, it could be a therapeutic so it might still be years before they see a customer, but but real sensitivity to the customer and what the customer challenge is, it's very helpful to hear, hear that early in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we generally think, you know, we very quickly look at people and, and determine whether they're qualified. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody says, I'm going to go into ag tech genomics, but I started out as an English major, mm-hmm. that really doesn't help. But... But then if they come in and they're qualified and they, they understand what's the field, at that point, our, one of the early things we want to understand is, are, do they really understand the customer and are they sensitive to the customer and connected to the customer and can they reflect on what the customer need is? Mm-hmm. I, we always say that, what is, you know, well, here's one thing for you. What does every startup need? I would say probably going to go back to the team. Everybody needs a good team. Yeah, so we... we you need a team and you need money, but we always say you need a customer. Okay. Yep. Customers. Yep. Uh, it's actually a pretty deep aspect of our fund customers. Uh, at the end of the day, customers got to buy the product mm-hmm. and it could be a, you know, I'm going to build Tesla and I don't have a car for four years, but it, it, someone's got to buy the product. Yeah. You have your avatar worked out. So yeah, well, you've got to, have a sense of who that person is and get some feedback from them say, look, you had a cool idea, but it's wrong in these regards. Uh, because if you understand what the customer wants, then you're going to spend less on product development or you're not going to develop things that the customer doesn't want. And so sensitivity or an ability to understand that customer is, 
is important early in our process. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so you've mentioned a couple of times you work mainly with early stage startups. Uh, at what point would they start to think about reaching out to you? So you, you've mentioned that, you know, you want to have your, your customer in mind uh, and you've said, you know, if it's a physical product, maybe they don't have a physical product yet, you know, physical uh, finished product for another three, four years. At, at what point is it that you would start looking at these people? Is it completely conceptual? Have they done a little bit of re- Obviously, they had to have done a little bit of research to identify yep. who their customer is. But at what point would you say is you know sort of your sweet spot? You know where they've done enough to be able to qualify their their idea. You know, what, what what do they have had to have checked off before they would reach out to you? Yeah, so we typically invest in a technically what would be called a seed round or a Series A, mm-hmm. which typically means that. The firm is on their own, raised three, four hundred thousand dollars from family members and other people close to them, people that they've got a reputation with and know them, and that they've done that type of work and and they've put some skin in the game uh, and exhibited that they're willing to take the risk. So, uh, in terms of product, it, it really depends. You know, if it's a drug, we'd like them to be mid phase one. So they're sort of doing the safety studies, but if they're doing software that they've developed some aspects of the software in all cases that they've had some conversations with customers on the drug side that they've talked to the FDA on the software side that maybe they have a few users using the product. So we we just want to see the beginnings of that traction. They don't have to. Have, they don't have to have revenue. They don't have to have a completed product on software. They could be a year from completed product, but that's sort of the rough. rough. So we tend to invest at the same time as other venture capitalists, other early stage venture capitalists. Excellent, excellent. So you've mentioned a couple of times that this is a fund. So flip this on the other side as well. Uh, is there opportunity for people that you want to invest in this fund and and help participate in some of these startups? Do you do you yes. take investment that side? So uh, this is a really shocking number, and I've checked it a dozen times. And in the United States, the overall net worth in the United States is somewhere north of $90 trillion. Mm-hmm. $60 trillion of it is in accredited investors or better. So $60 trillion, uh, uh, to invest in startups, you really need to be accredited. There's $60 trillion of accredited wealth in the United States. Mm-hmm. The thing the United States is best at is innovation. And it, there are lots of reasons why we're best at it, but we're really best at innovation on the, on the best in the world right? by, by a large margin. Mm-hmm. So the venture capital industry in the United States is only $450 billion. That's a big number. Wow. But the hedge fund industry is probably $2 trillion. The ETF markets and all that. I mean, all these other markets are huge, but... If you think about it, the the thing that's going to – we always talk about what's the policy? Who's going to make the economy better? Who's going to – the people who make the economy better are, frankly, entrepreneurs and innovators who look at a problem and say, i got a better way to do it. Now, maybe they're backed by venture capital or maybe they're backed by their friends or maybe they're backed by their family or maybe they're starting a new restaurant or they're funded in a lot of different ways. But for a country – that on the world stage, the greatest thing they deliver is innovation. To think that they have sixty trillion, we have sixty trillion dollars in the United States, 
and only 450 billion of it's allocated to new startups, that seems to me like a gap. So when we started iSelect, we sort of said we want to do two things. Thing one was be really good at agriculture and healthcare venture. Thing two was, why don't we change how people invest? And so when we, we thought that the reason why people didn't invest in venture capital was because of risk, what we discovered was it has a lot to do with access. So if you want to get involved in a good venture capital fund, the minimum is $20 million and there's a waiting line. So I know billionaires that will not invest $20 million in one thing. So it's, this is not a $20 million minimum is a pretty, a pretty high bar. And so we said, well, what if we made it 50,000 and made it so that you could invest whenever and that there was no waiting line. And, and so we, we actually have done a lot of innovation around fund structure. And then we said, if less than 1%, of the country that can invest in venture capital does invest in venture capital. What will it mean to the country if we get three or four or 5%? And so we are on a mission to reach out to registered investment advisors and financial advisors and broker dealers and, and people, wealth managers and all the people who help wealthy people figure out where to invest and have conversations with them about where venture capital fits in and we've done a lot to sort of structure our investments process so that somebody can come in at any time and make investments and, and get access and help get a good return while also the positive externalities is if we fix food or fix healthcare or that mm-hmm. I just think this is a more direct way to fix those problems. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So you said there's there's basically a fifty dollar minimum buy in to fifty thousand dollar minimum. Fifty thousand, yes, yes, yep. fifty thousand. And would they just go to a website and sign up for this, or how do they how do they find oh, out about it? We typically go through wealth manager, okay, and so a financial advisor. So uh, someone certainly can reach us directly, and and we can work through that. They also could have their wealth manager talk to us, their financial advisor, uh, but both are available. Uh, because of the regulatory environment, it's usually good to have a, a wealth manager involved to make sure that people are making the right decision. But if you go to our website, you can either talk to the little box on the bottom right-hand side mm-hmm. and, and get connected or, or uh, reach out to our sales team and we can figure out a way to, to help you through the process. That's great. That's great. Are they able to choose the types of investments that they participate in or is it basically just sort of a lump fund that gets allocated toward? They can. They can choose. We we said a few things. We said, let's make it $50,000 minimum. Let's make it so that people can choose mm-hmm. and let's eliminate it so there's only one K1. It's sort of odd that that's, that's an important thing, but I've been in front of many investors and they say, how many K1s do I get and is it on time? So we designed for all of those things. Mm-hmm. As a best practice, we encourage people not to pick. I've invested in lots of things and things that I thought were going to go great didn't and things that I didn't think we're going to write did. When you look at the analysis of who wins in the venture business, there's a lot of data that says do a lot of diligence, look at a lot of deals, invest in a few and diversify, invest in 25 or more. It's not clear that when people pick that they, they do better. Mm-hmm. 
And so as an investment strategy, when we approve things, we really, we sort of say, well, we want to be sure that somebody does well, whether they pick or not. Mm-hmm. And so we encourage people on early stage to basically just invest in the next 25 opportunities we have. Mm-hmm. We have created something unique. So the other way people may uh, make a lot of money in venture capital, like Yale. So people often talk about how, what a high performer Yale is in venture when you dig into it, they say, well, it's because they invest in venture capital. It's, it is sort of. The thing that they do is they invest early. One out of 10 deals might really mature to something big. Mm-hmm. But they also get follow-on rights. So when it's a, a mid-stage, Series C, later stage deal, they reserve the right to invest a lot more at that point with the venture funds that they invest with. And really what they do, they sort of leverage that up. It's like an option, like a warrant, and it it lets them leverage up their investment once they've got some more information and certainty. So what we did is we created a function inside of our portfolio that says you can invest in the early stage, what we call our alpha portfolio. You know, it's sort of a one out of 10 will really take off. And then as it moves to the later stage, you can change your allocation and invest more. Mm -hmm. So... A way to think about this is you go to Silicon Valley, you invest in a bunch of deals and Facebook and Uber show up and out of your portfolio and, and now it's 24 months, 36 months into it and 24 months before going public, but it's pretty clear these things are moving quick. Mm-hmm. At that point, you can sort of make a decision and say, yeah, I invested 10000 originally, but you know I'd like to invest 100000 at this point. And so we've given that people that I think we're one of the first people to sort of create that capability for people to change their strategy. And that's what we're trying to do. So we're trying to make it easy for people to invest and then make it so that as the companies mature, that people can double down and triple down and increase their investment. Yeah, I love it. I love it. This is great. I mean, I, it, it's it's great on both sides. You know, again, you talked about the, the shortfall of funding for the entrepreneurs, but then also exposing those entrepreneurs and those ideas to the other investors. I absolutely love it. So we have a lot of collaboration between our investors and the entrepreneurs and they even help find customers for them. So we're, we, we, we call that, we call it a market network. We basically say what's Silicon Valley do well. They have startups, they have investors, they have early adopter customers, and they have grayer people who've been around the block. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're all together. And they all, they all work as a team to help those companies succeed. And what we're trying to do, in a similar way, if you've got high net worth investors who themselves have been successful helping the startups, so we we create a very loose network to try to, to move them along. Yeah, I really like that a lot. So it's, so it's, I mean, it is sort of a holistic type system where you, you cover all the bases there, you know, counseling and, and advice and funding and investments. So I, I really like that a lot. Good. It's a, it's a, we want to expand the, expand the amount of people paying attention to it. Yeah. It's been a lot of effort to get to here. No, that's great. So, so talking about paying attention, if people want to learn more, what would be the best way to, to reach out, whether that be for investing or, or, I, well, I guess investing is more through wealth managers and whatnot, but, uh, but if they, if they want to get, well, they can added. reach, uh, they can go to our website. I select and I uh, read about it. There are various places on there to contact us. And depending on the situation, we can figure out how to 
if you want to invest, we can we can get you properly connected to do that and meet all the various regulations and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably the best way to do it. Love it, excellent, Carter. This is uh, this is fantastic. I'd, I'd love to be able to you know connect with you again at some other point and maybe we can dive into some of the projects that you're even working on you know if you're allowed to disclose any of those types of things i think that'd be really interesting as well so i'd enjoy it yeah excellent well until next time then thanks for until being next time <laughs> take care thanks for listening and remember pass the secret sauce